0: This episode was made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. For more information, please visit patreon.com/author Chris Lester. You’re listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 203. Hello everyone. Welcome to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm Chris Lester, the creator of the Metamore City story universe. You can learn more about me and my work at chrislester.org and metamorecity.com. This is the show where I share my fiction with you, fresh off the writing desk. You'll also get to hear about my latest endeavors as a writing professional. More on that later in the show. For now, let's get to this week's story. Today I'm bringing you Chapter 61 of my Metamore City novel, The Lost and the Least. If you're new to the show, go back to Episode 143 to hear this story from the beginning. The following recap will contain spoilers. Kate and her allies have the Brotherhood on the run. After disrupting the cult's black magic ritual, Kate entered their underground base, using her illusions and veils to slip past their defenses. She reported back on those defenses to the immortal wizard Murakir, who set to work closing off the exits with his earth magic. Kate has been using her illusions to sow chaos and confusion among the cultists, driving them toward the dead ends Murakir has created. In this way, Kate hoped to keep the enemy distracted and off kilter until Captain Montgomery arrives with reinforcements, who will then be able to round up the cultists and arrest them. But unbeknownst to Kate, Murakir has his own plans for the cult. John and Morgan entered the tunnels at about the same time as Kate, and while searching for any surviving prisoners, they came across the garage where the cult had housed their fleet of skimmer vans. Murakir had already been there, and he had massacred the defenders and sealed the doors with huge slabs of concrete. Once he seals the rest of the exits, it's clear that the immortal plans to enter the complex and finish the job. John and Morgan found Kate soon thereafter, and filled her in on Murakir's bloody handiwork. Kate decided that their next order of business is to find Jared Tamlin, the police psychologist whom the cult has identified as their chosen one. Given what he's already done, it's a safe bet that Murakir will kill Jared if he gets to him first. But Jared has already escaped, Not wanting to risk being killed by Murakir, Jared fled with Captain Shaw and her assistant, a water mage named Sophus. After running into several of Murakir's dead ends, they used Sophus's magic to open a passage into the underground river. They rode the current downstream, away from the doomed base and Murakir's zone of immediate interest. Meanwhile, the river continues to pour into the network of tunnels, and with their enhanced senses, John and Morgan have just caught the sound of the water heading their way. The Lost and the Least A Novel of Metamorph City Written and Read by Chris Lester Chapter 61 Kate saw the terror fill Morgan's face half a second before she moved. Run! Morgan shouted. She took off at cheetah speed, heading back toward the main entrance they had used to enter the complex. Morgan! Kate called after her. She ran after her friend, but trying to catch her was hopeless. John kept pace at Kate's side, holding himself back so he wouldn't leave her behind. What the hell got into her... Kate demanded, between panted breaths. The tunnels are flooding, John said, his own voice tight with alarm. The river's coming in. Kate was momentarily confused. That was bad, of course, but the tunnels wouldn't flood instantly. They should have time to get out before it got too deep to swim. Swim, Kate, you idiot. Running water, she said, with a sense of horrified realization. If Morgan gets caught in it, it could kill her, John said grimly, and the beast inside her knows it. She's in full-on panic mode. (sighs) Prophet, help us, Kate panted. The sounds of scattered gunfire filtered down from somewhere up ahead. For the moment, at least, it didn't trigger her flashbacks. Maybe because it was still distant and muffled, or maybe because Kate was already in survival mode. She still didn't understand how this trauma bullshit worked. She came upon a young man lying against the wall of the corridor, a trickle of blood running down his temple. He had a dazed expression, but he was still breathing. A pistol lay on the floor about two meters away from him. Move, Kate ordered. She seized his arm and pulled him roughly to his feet. The cultist looked around, blinking in confusion. His eyes focused on Kate for an instant then slid past her. What? Move or drown, Kate snapped. She turned him around and half pushed, half dragged him down the hall. John came up beside the kid on his other side, and between them they started moving faster. I can't go back up there, the cultist said in a small, pleading voice. He'll kill me. Kate cut her eyes at the kid, but did not slow down. here, you saw him? He gave an exaggerated nod. Everybody who's left is up there, trying to slow him down. It's crazy. Kate cursed under her breath. All right, you're officially under arrest. Stay with me and don't do anything stupid and I'll protect you. Oh, gods, the cultist moaned. But he was moving on his own now, and he didn't argue as Kate led them back toward the staircase. The sounds of gunfire grew louder, Accompanied by angry shouts and the screams of the injured, Kate felt her heartbeat starting to race and her breathing grew shallower, but she kept going. There was no other choice. Ten seconds before she reached the staircase, Kate managed to pick out Morgan's voice among the general bedlam. She was shouting, her voice full of anger and terror in equal measure, apparently at anyone who might listen. Blood and ashes, stop shooting and listen to me! There is no time for this! The tunnels are flooding! Did you hear me? The tunnels are. Oh, gods, no, don't! There was a thunderous explosion, followed by the slightly quieter but much more prolonged sound of collapsing earth, wood, and stone. A cloud of dust billowed out of the staircase, and with it came a stream of more than a dozen dirt covered, coughing men and one very angry vampire. "'You bloody, god-stamped idiots!' Morgan shouted, cuffing the men around her with backhanded slaps to their shoulders and the backs of their heads. The men staggered under the blows, some of them falling to their knees. "'You've just killed us all! If you would fucking listen!' Kate ran up to Morgan, seized her by the shoulders, and shook her. "'Morgan, get it together!' Morgan showed no signs of getting anything together. Her eyes were wide, and the irises flickered back and forth between midnight black and eerie yellow-green. Her whole body was shaking. Kate, they sealed the tunnel. Murakir was trying to get in. Morgan slowed down. Whole warehouse lined with explosives. Morgan, honey, just stop. Stop, please. Blood and fucking ashes. We're trapped down here. In sheer desperation, Kate grabbed Morgan's head in both hands and kissed her hard on the mouth. Morgan froze in shock, then melted into the kiss, wrapping her arms around Kate and pulling her close. She made a soft little sound in the back of her throat, a purr or a growl, and her tongue darted forward, probing around Kate's lips and teeth. Kate had no idea where the inspiration had come from. She had never thought of herself as being remotely interested in women. She just wanted Morgan to shut up and listen to her. But now that she was in it, holding Morgan close against herself, their lips and tongues dancing together, it did feel... nice. She broke the kiss and took a half-step back. Morgan stared at her in wonder and Kate could imagine that look of wide-eyed astonishment mirrored on her own face. I'm probably going to regret that later, she thought. We need to go back to the summoning room, Kate said, speaking slowly and clearly. It's higher than the river. It won't flood. We'll be safe there until help arrives. Morgan's mouth worked soundlessly for a moment, then she sucked in air, blinked, and nodded. "'Yes,' she said at last, like she was trying to whip her thoughts into motion. "'The summoning room. Right. Basic physics. Good thinking, Kate.' From the corner of her eye, Kate noticed that John had retrieved a gun from somewhere, and was taking advantage of the Brotherhood members' disorientation to quietly divest them of any weapons they might still be carrying. The men looked dazed and beaten, and they surrendered without a fight. "'Who's in charge here?' Kate demanded. The cultists looked at each other. Finally, a tall, lightly-built man with freckled skin and dusty brown hair stepped forward. He was maybe in his mid-twenties at most, and his narrow, angular face was clean-shaven. He eyed Kate warily. "'What's your name?' Kate asked. "'Celsus, ma'am. These are your people?' Celsus glanced at the others, then back at Kate. They are now, ma'am. Kate grimaced. Everybody in charge is dead now, she realized. She wondered how many bodies would be pulled out of this pit when it was all over. All right. We're going back to the room where you kept Dr. Tamlin. You know where that is? Celsus nodded. Kate continued You go in front, followed by your people. I don't know how fast the water's going to rise in here, so be as quick as you can. We'll follow behind you. Go. Celsus gestured to the others and said something in that foreign language Kate didn't understand. Hey, Kate snapped. No secret messages. You want to talk? You talk in common. Morgan put her hand on Kate's shoulder. It's all right. He's telling them to follow your orders. Kate blinked. Oh. Oh great. She paused. Still, no more of that, okay? Get moving. The cultists started moving back down the passage, with Celsus at the lead. John watched them go, the pistol pointed straight down at his side, his finger resting lightly on the trigger guard. And how exactly do you know what these guys are saying? Kate asked Morgan. It's Sweelman. They were using a code before, but that last bit was in plain speech. Kate snorted. Plain speech, right. She followed the last of the cultists down the passage. It sloped gently downward in this section, and she could see the men wading into water up ahead. Morgan, how dangerous is this for you? The water doesn't look like it's moving much. Morgan made a frustrated sound. It's not something I know how to quantify, darling. I can take baths, but not showers. I can wash my hands, but I can't wade through a stream. Kate squinted and looked ahead. At the front of the group, Celsus was up to his knees already, and she could hear more water rushing in. Morgan, John said thoughtfully, can't you change into mist form and fly over this? I could, but we're badly outnumbered already. If your prisoners decide to make trouble, I wouldn't be able to change back in time to do any good. We're wasting time, Kate said. John, carry Morgan. Try to keep her feet out of the water. Let's go. John and Morgan exchanged a quick smile that brimmed over with unspoken subtext. Then he crouched down, and she climbed onto him piggyback style. She had to bend low over his head to avoid bumping into the ceiling, but they managed it. John rose and waded into the water, seemingly unbothered by the extra weight, and Kate followed after They made it back to the summoning room without incident, though by the time they got there the water was up to Kate's sternum, and Morgan had her ankles crossed over John's chest. Kate could actually see the water rising now, as the lower passages flooded completely and it was left with fewer places to go. John set Morgan down on the steps, then both drew their pistols. John's had gotten wet, so he tossed it back into the water. They went up the stairs side by side, and Kate followed a couple of paces behind, with her Arthana at the ready. If Celsus and his men had given any thought to mounting an ambush, there was no sign of it. They sat around the edges of the room, their backs to the walls, looking waterlogged and miserable. None of them went anywhere near the chair where Jared Tamlin had presumably been restrained. Kate did a quick head count. Everyone who had come down from the collapsed building was still present. Does anyone have a phone that still works? John asked. He held up his own dripping mobile and gave it a brief, frustrated shake. Morgan pulled a slim black phone out of her leather duster, but after a moment she frowned and shook her head. Sorry, darling. I can't get a signal down here. Celsus spoke up, keeping his eyes on Kate as he did so. We have a radio, ma'am. He held up a bright yellow walkie-talkie, covered in a rubberized protective coating. Worth a try, Kate said. She took the radio and adjusted the dial to the frequency used by MCPD dispatch. SID-29 to dispatch. Code 3, over. There was no reply. Kate repeated herself twice more, waiting about 30 seconds between transmissions. Maybe it doesn't have enough range, John suggested. Or maybe Murakir put some kind of signal interference over the area, Morgan said darkly. He wouldn't have wanted his killing spree to be interrupted. They'll answer, Kate said, with a confidence she didn't quite feel. She thumbed the transceiver and repeated the message again. She kept at it while John stood guard over their ragged group of prisoners, and Morgan tended to their injuries with a cold... Clinical detachment. Kate lost track of time. She paced and repeated herself and watched the water level rise to fill the stairway below. The water brimmed up to the very edge of the top step, and Morgan watched nervously as a trickle of water spilled over the edge to pool on the floor. You're sure this room is the same height as the river? Kate eyed the slowly growing puddle with fresh uncertainty. Well, more or less. The ley line went through here, and it was at the surface of the river, so. Morgan swallowed and took a step backward. Lovely. The water continued to spread. Kate looked around for something to build a barrier, but there was nothing in the room but the bolted down chair and the sixteen other people with her. Not quite sixteen, Kate realized suddenly there's two others you forgot about. She directed her thoughts inward at the two ever-shifting and alien minds inside her. Hey, river spirits, you want to give me a hand here or what? Kate wasn't sure if the words actually translated or if the spirits just picked up on emotions and subtext, but she felt a sudden gathering of power from her mystic center The churning, twisting pressure of water mana rose up inside her and traveled up her spine and down her right arm. On instinct, Kate extended her hand toward the water, the Arthana's blade pointed outward. A wave of shimmering light radiated out from the dagger, her own blue-green aura weaving together with the cool blue light of the water spirit's power. The pool of water began to glow— the lights refracting through its surface like sunlight on a swimming pool. Immediately the water stopped spreading, piling up on top of itself in a broad, glittering half-dome, like an oversized water droplet. It rose to just below the height of Kate's knees, and there it stopped. The mana flow ceased, and with it the sense of the river spirit's presence, Immediately, Kate felt her bone-weary exhaustion take hold again, and she sank to one knee and rested her hand on the floor. She watched and waited, looking for any sign that the barrier might break, but the spirits seemed to have the situation well under control. Kate and Morgan both let out sighs of relief. What is that? Morgan whispered. Kate smiled tiredly. Couple of friends who agreed to help me out. Just then, a deep rumbling filled the room. It sounded like a mild earthquake, but the ground wasn't shaking as far as Kate could tell, and the noise was coming from above them. Everyone looked up at the ceiling, with expressions that ranged from apprehension to terror. Kate tightened her grip on the Arthana and struggled to her feet. Morgan helped her up, and Kate leaned on her, accepting the assistance without argument. She nodded toward the spot where the sound was loudest, and she and Morgan staggered forward. "'Everyone get behind me,' Kate said. After a moment's hesitation, they did so, except for Morgan. Kate kept her eyes on the spot above her, watching as a cylinder of stone about a meter wide slowly slid upward, leaving a neatly polished channel through the rock overhead." A small patch of light appeared at the far end of the hole, an amber-yellow hue that Kate recognized all too well. Then the light was blocked out again, and Kate heard another grinding noise, much fainter and higher in pitch. A thin disk of stone slid down the channel like a lift car and descended into the room, floating smoothly to the floor with no obvious means of propulsion. Murakir Kunis stood atop the stone disc, his medallion in one hand and an arthana in the other. That by itself was a sobering reminder of how powerful and skilled he was. Even at her full strength, Kate would not have had a prayer of defeating Murakir in a wizard's duel. In her current condition, exhausted and hurting and weighed down by emotional trauma she still didn't understand the scope of, she wouldn't even be able to make him work for it. It didn't matter. Beating Murakir wasn't the point. Catherine, excellent, Murakir said, in a tone of only mild interest. I see you've rounded up another cluster of these villains. Tell your incubus to step away from them. He's in my line of fire. Kate gritted her teeth and, with Morgan's help, took three steps forward until she towered over the little skunk man. And now he's not the only one. It's over, Murray. These men are in my custody. Murakir snorted derisively. (laughs) Please, do you honestly think they will go to trial? That they will be convicted and sentenced? You know how deep the rot runs in the city. The law will not serve us here. Kate eyed him for a long moment. You're not much for rules, are you? She said quietly. For laws? For bureaucracy? You know what's really going on. You know more than those pencil-pushers ever will. If people would just leave you alone to do your job, your way, then everything would be great. Murakir said nothing. His huge, dark eye was unreadable in the dim light of the torches and the river spirit's magic. Kate forced herself to stand up a little straighter, and raised her chin in a sharp little motion to indicate herself. I know how you feel. I'm the same way. I bent the rules pretty hard to get back on the job. I was sure that was all I needed to make things right. She let out an exhausted, bitter snort. And gestured at herself and her surroundings. And it was a fucking disaster. We didn't save the people the Brotherhood kidnapped. Shaw isn't here. Tamlin's not here. And I nearly got myself and my friends killed, repeatedly. She shook her head, keeping her eyes locked on Murrakir's. Those rules were there for a damned good reason. But I was too blind, too obsessed. To understand why. Yes, Murakir said mildly. You became obsessed. You took excessive risks. You went outside the law. And together we stopped the Brotherhood from unleashing their god on our world. You could not have done that if you had been waiting in your apartment like a good, obedient little officer. He raised his eyebrows. You speak of obsession like it is a bad thing but I can assure you, with twenty lifetimes of experience, it gets results. He narrowed his eye. Stand aside, Lieutenant. Kate met his gaze, and saw nothing but absolute certainty there. She stared back, letting him see the cold determination that stiffened her spine and set her jaw. She spoke slowly and clearly. No one else dies today. You want to kill them, you'll have to kill me too. Murray's expression grew scornful. Don't be a child. Oh, believe me, I'm not. This is me being a fucking grown-up. Finally. She raised her arthana and tried to ignore the fact that her hand was shaking. This ends now. No one else dies or I die with them, and you can find another fucking pawn to play with. Murakir stared at her for a moment longer, then turned away, shaking his head. He shot a hateful look at the terrified cultists behind her and stabbed a finger in their direction. Those men whom you're so eager to protect, they have murdered the innocent here in your precious city. They did it for power. They did it for their god. He spat the word like a curse. They are lost, damned souls, and yet in your arrogance you still think you can save them. He craned his neck and raised his voice, as if to speak past Kate. You can't save men like that, Lieutenant. Their hands are too stained. They are monsters. The vision flashed in Kate's memory again two bullets to the back of a head, a woman without a face. She swallowed hard. We're all monsters here, she said. For a second or two, Murakir just stared at her. Then, slowly, his expression changed, the anger and hatred and bitterness clouding over with uncertainty, followed by a bone-deep weariness. Then he turned his back on her, raised his casting implements, and let his stone platform carry him back up to the world above. And that's the end of Chapter 61. Come back next time, when Montgomery arrives with the reinforcements, and Kate finds out what Callie has been up to. Cecil Day-Lewis said, I do not sit down at my desk to put into verse something that is already clear in my mind. If it were clear in my mind, I should have no incentive or need to write about it. We do not write in order to be understood. We write in order to understand. So come along with me as I try to work out my own understanding. It's time for the weekly writing report. I wrote 2,057 words this week, over the course of 2.5 hours, for an average writing speed of 823 words per hour. As of Friday night, I've gone 350 days without breaking my chain. This week my writing time was hampered because I was busy over the weekend, but it was for a really cool reason. I got to help my wife Mel photograph a wedding on Saturday, Sam and Gareth said their vows on the steps of the Capitol here in beautiful Madison, Wisconsin, and then we took them all through the Capitol grounds for their photo shoot. Because of that adventure, and some time on Sunday getting our finances in order, it took a couple of extra days to finish the podcast this week, and that's time I otherwise could have spent writing. It was totally worth it, though, and the photos from that shoot are just phenomenal. You can check out some of Mel's work on her Facebook page. Melanie Renee Photography, or visit her website, MelanieReneePhotography.com. I'm super proud of all she's accomplished this year, so I hope you'll forgive me if I brag on her for a little bit. On the writing side, I inched forward a little more on All the World of Fire. The story is still in Chapter 10, and the manuscript is about 28,000 words. The rest of the week I spent prepping the recording scripts for my next couple of episodes because that's something I can still focus on, even when I come home with my brain fried from work. Next week's going to be an interesting one, because I'm flying to Charleston, South Carolina for a microbiology summit. I'm heading down there on Monday and flying back on Friday. If there are any fans in Charleston who'd like to meet up, keep an eye on the Metamore City Discord server and the fans of Metamore City Facebook group. I'm hoping that I'll have some time for a meetup on either Monday night or Thursday night. If you're going to be in or near the Charleston Historic District at that time, let me know. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your feedback in text or audio to metamorcityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900 then enter extension 255 followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash authorchrislester, the fan group is fans of Metamore City on Facebook, and my Mastodon handle is at authorchrislester at wandering.shop. If you like this show, take a minute and leave me a review in Apple Podcasts. It makes a big difference in helping people find the show. That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with more fiction, fresh off the writing desk. Until then, keep it on the Bright Side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2018 and 2019 by Chris Lester and the Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives License. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.